Aaron Alcock? Yeah. There was going to be more announcements. I guess we got them all out of the way at the beginning. Um, oh, Steve, thanks for uh, being the 10 minute. Um, thanks to uh, Ryan for asking me to, to speak. Thanks for my wife to be here with me because I'm sober and now I got married. Um, that wasn't the plan. Uh, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I just came to. Uh, my life was a mess. Um, and I really had no idea that my life was a mess. Uh, but my life had been a mess for about 30 years. Um, man, Alcoholics Anonymous is the best thing that has ever happened in my life. Um, I came in 2016. Um, no, I didn't go to treatment. Um, I had just... Um, you know, there was one more case of that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Mine was a, a like read before about the, they stopped in time, you know, like before stuff happened, you know, and I, that blows me away that people did that, you know, and uh, because the things that kept on happening, eh, it's just, what a, another circumstance, another circumstance, I'm in the wrong place, you know, that cop is, you know, that same cop, you know, and uh, he was following me. And, um, you know, so I, um, so my sobriety date is October 22nd, 2016. Um, I came in, I was 44 years old, um, which makes me 51 now, which is weird. Um, and, uh, but I came to my first AA meeting when I was 19 years old. Um, I had been, um, I was a good kid growing up, kind of naive. Um, I, I originally came here from Scotland when I was eight years old, almost eight years old, and I have a Scottish accent when I want it. Um, I used to use uh, bars, uh, and, and it worked really well. Uh, then I met my wife, and we started dating, and I did this, this accent. She goes, oh, that's creepy. I'm like, <laughs> First woman in my life that's ever said it was creepy. And then we got married. So um, like the perfect response, I guess, you know. And uh so uh I was 19, you know, my whole thing um growing up was that I was gonna be a professional soccer player. That's all I was gonna do. It's all I remember of my youth was was soccer, soccer, soccer. I don't remember playing with toys, I don't remember anything. The youngest of three boys, we all played soccer. You know, coming from Scotland, it was a, a huge, uh, huge sport there. And uh, so when I, I was raised in, in Scotland, and I was a Scottish Jew, which is very different, because um, it's all Catholic and Protestant, and I didn't know it was, it was different. And then I come to America, and I'm still a Scottish Jew, you know, and, uh, you know, I came here and I had this accent. And, and uh, People thought I was weird, and I was like pale blue because there's no sun in Scotland, and you know? and, um, and uh, I just remember I didn't really fit in. Like it took me a while of being sober because um, I always heard that, you know, I never felt like I fit in, and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really resonate with that until I really started getting into like some of the stuff that that happened and who I was, and I always felt uncomfortable. You know, and um, and alcohol, once I found that, I started drinking around 14. I started probably on my first drink around 10. We used to go to this um, this Christmas party 
and this like family friends and it was a big Christmas party and and uh, this lady would make this Christmas punch and it was like oranges sliced oranges soaked in brandy for like weeks and like in and then there was like brandy and seven up and champagne in this punch bowl and all the men would hang out in this around this punch bowl and that's where I saw the fun happen you know like they would all get bright red faces and lots of laughter and you know and I just remember about 10 years old my mom's like stop eating those oranges I'm like you know and I think that's kind of where it started and I probably was going around and, and finishing the the cups that were you know that had some left in it and uh but my brothers had a party when, when I was about 14 years old. So they were like 17 and 19. And um, I remember drinking with all the big kids, you know, and, and, and fitting in with them and playing drinking games. And it turns out I was pretty good at drinking games. And my brothers didn't want me to drink, but all their friends were like, here you go, here you go, here you go. And I remember passing out on the stairs. Um, there was this girl that I liked, you know, when I was 14, what do I know about talking to the girl, you know? And uh, I remember passing out on the stairs and she's talking to me on the stairs and I like, I couldn't, I remember I could hear what she was saying, but I could not open my eyes. And uh, I was just totally passed out. And it wasn't like the next day I went, oh, I can't wait to do that again. Um, it was just um, something that happened that weekend. And, uh, and, and then as I started going into like high school parties and stuff like that, you know, I was always the drunkest at the party. You know, like I remember I worked at one of my first jobs. I was like a box boy at, at Safeway. And I, I remember stealing this uh, this bottle of Cuervo um, and one of those big square bottles of Cuervo. And I went to this party and I drank the entire thing. It was like, I don't know, 20 shots or, or 20 double shots of, of tequila. And I passed out in the backyard. And nobody could find me. And, and uh, you know, and they finally grabbed me. They found me and they put me on the front porch. And I'm just passed out. I'm throwing up everywhere. And it's December. And and this guy decides me to spray me with a hose, you know. And I'm just got, I mean, I'm just a mess. And um, you know, I came into my dad's house and and he opened the door and I've just got puke all over me. And like, you know, I think he woke me up at like five in the morning, you know, to to make sure I was real good and hungover. And um you know, but with that, I was, you know, I was always playing soccer, 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 soccer. And I was a, um, I was really good. I played on one of the number one teams in the, in the country for um, like youth soccer, club soccer. And I had five scholarships coming out of high school and I uh, blew my knee out my senior year of high school. And, um, and the funny thing is I was, I was playing, it's like, careful what you wish for. Um, I was playing on this team that, that the practices were so intense um, that I didn't want to practice anymore. And I remember saying, you know, I just want to get hurt for a little bit and not, and, and like not have to play for a couple of weeks. And that weekend I blew my knee out and never played again and changed my entire existence. Like my, I didn't like my whole identity was soccer. I had no plan B. And um, then I started hanging out with, um, all the guys that went to the continuation school that I would do their homework and, you know, they give me, you know, sacks of weed or whatever for doing their workbooks and they get five credits for finishing this workbook and, and, uh, you know, start breaking in the cars and like, you know, it's just like everything, like totally against everything that I'd ever known or, um, 
any moral compass. And, um, and I ended up getting busted. Um, after I blew my knee out, I, I think it was the first time I was arrested. Turns out you don't have to be arrested to, uh, um, to be an alcoholic, but that's not my story. Um, uh, that, that happened quite a few times because a lot of those people stopped in time, I guess. Um, um, so um, I got arrested and it was actually for a uh, outside issue. Um, and uh, I had to go to PC 1000 and go to AA meetings. And that's where I was introduced to AA. But you know, I was always on a court card like Steve was saying, I was always on a court card. I was always told to do it. I was always punished to go to AA. And um, so I found out that I could just sign my own card. You know, like it's Alcoholics Anonymous. You can't come and, and like ask them because it's anonymous and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I've got different colored pens and left-handed, right-handed and whatnot, even though I had that thought, like you can't go check, but I'm going to do it in different colors. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, so, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, one in particular is, is a, you know, I have a very tragic uh, story. Um, so I was 19 and, and I went through that PC 1000. I always did really well when I was under the gun, you know, on probation in a program, like a court appointed program or a state program to get my license back and stuff like that. I would always participate. I'd go to the face-to-face -face meetings and I'd participate with the, with the counselor. And, you know, and then I'd finally complete it. And they're like, you're going to do great. I'm like, I know, you know, and, uh, and thinking that maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, you know, it was never a thought that I was an alcoholic. There was never, ever a thought I was an alcoholic. And um, it was just circumstance. Everything, I can't believe this happened to me again, you know. And um, I remember giving my brother a uh, possession of alcohol because I, so my parents used to take us to Hawaii every year, not because we were rich, but my dad traveled a lot and there was a lot of points and he would take the family to Hawaii on, on points. And um, I went there like 15, 15, 16, 17, 18. And when, when I went on my 18th, when we were going, I told my parents that I was not going to go to Hawaii unless you let me go to the DMV and get a fake ID because I'm sick of drinking with all the kids on the beach. And, <laughs> and um, back, back in this day, so that would be like 1990, right? So there wasn't this thing through the DMV with fingerprints that went throughout the nation and stuff like that. So my mom gave me my brother's birth certificate to go to the DMV to get a fake ID with my face, his information. It was perfect, you know, with the idea that they were going to, that I was going to give it back to them after we come back from Hawaii. And wouldn't you know, I lost it, you know? And uh, so I proceeded, I went to Hawaii and uh, I got my, my ass beat uh, by some locals in Maui uh, when I was wasted. And I asked them if they could give me some mushrooms. And, um, and the last thing I remember was them saying, how much money you got on me? I go, I don't know, 50 bucks or something. And the last thing I knew, I woke up in my room with my cheek out to here, no money, one sandal, and I think I got beat up. I'm not sure. Um, I could have fallen on my face on the way back to the hotel and left all my money at the bar or whatever. I have no, I still have no idea. I'll never find out. Um, so with that, I have that fake idea. I lost it. 
I gave my brother a possession of alcohol ticket when I was 20 years old. And, um, and uh, I let that go to warrant because that's what I did with all my tickets. Um, you know, when I got my first, my driver's license, I got five speeding tickets in the first 10 months and uh, lost my driver's license for six months, you know, by the time before I was 17. And uh, so uh, in order for me to uh, not lose my driver's license by with that warrant and like falsifying who I was, um, I had to go to this youthful drunk driving program of Orange County when I was 20. And uh, it was, I had to visit a coroner's office and watch autopsies. I had to go to a, a neurocare center and visit uh, brain damaged patients from car accidents. I had to go to a, uh, the trauma center at Western Medical Center. It was Western Medical Center in Santa Ana on a Saturday night from 10 to three and uh, write a thousand word essay and go to a bunch of AA meetings. Supposedly, there is a 2% recidivism rate of that program. I don't even know if that program is even around anymore, but um, uh, I was of the 2% um, that, that did it again about a year and a half later. Um, I was, I used to work at this restaurant that was in Tustin Marketplace and we, we were allowed to get off work and change our clothes and go back to the bar and drink as much as we wanted. And, uh, and so we drank as much as we wanted. And then we drove to my buddy's house that was in North Tustin. And, um, I, that's where I grew up. And, uh, so it was about four o'clock in the morning and I was, uh, going around this tight corner is a 15 mile an hour corner with two people in my car, um, at a uh, 15 mile an hour corner at 60 miles an hour and, uh, lost control and hit a tree. And, uh, the girl that was in the passenger seat uh, ended up passing away, and um, and I, she did not right away. Um, I I split my liver in half. I broke five ribs. I took my gallbladder out. I broke my ankle. I was on a respirator for three days, and um, and three weeks later, um, like so, she ended up passing away the next the the next week uh after after surgeries and stuff like that and i had heard somebody tell me that the hospital screwed up so that's all i needed was that and that it wasn't my fault and um and uh three weeks later i'm down in newport with friends i've got five broken ribs cast on my leg a tube out of my stomach uh because of the gallbladder um, collecting the bile until my liver learned how to work with it and, uh, decided to take, take acid, you know, and, uh, which, uh, and like, that's how much I didn't want to deal with what happened. And that's how I dealt with everything. I didn't deal with anything, you know, just, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and not think about anything, you know, consciously and subconsciously, mostly subconsciously. And, um, you know, I would spent the next 23 years just really when I got sober, realizing that a lot of the, the 23 years, I mean, I was an alcoholic before that happened. That's part of the unmanageability of my life was what happened, right? I, I was always the, uh, you know, when I finally read the book, I went to AA 1991, 1995, 1998, 2001, 2005. And when I came in in 2016, I was like, wait, is this the same program as in the 90s? Because I don't remember hearing 
any of this, like at all. Like, I remember when somebody said that when somebody asked you how you're doing, you said you were fine and meant you were fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And that's all I remember from the 90s. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want, it's not like I didn't want what you guys had <clears throat> or not want what I had. It's just, I was there for, to get my license back. You know, like I don't need to be here except for that I have to be here. And, and like, so I, um, I would love to tell you that that was my last DUI and it wasn't, you know, like I, I got, um, you know, so I was, it was right before my 22nd birthday. I'm coming up on 30 years of that accident in May. And, uh, it's always like, it's always going to be there. But what Alcoholics Anonymous has told me, has taught me is that no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we see her experience can benefit others. And when I came in, I was like, that's it. That when I would when I was finally listening and they read the promises at the end and I'm like, I won't regret the past and it was to shut the door on it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I need that. You know? And I was like, all right. And so like I had no idea about this phenomenon of craving that happens when I have when I have a drink. Like it explained everything, like when I finally read like the doctor's opinion and more about alcoholism and there is a solution. Like it's all just so right there. Like the, the, the alcoholic or the people who suffer from alcoholic torture must believe that their, uh, their body is just as abnormal as his mind. Right. And I'm like, okay. So like, you know, in that third, um, cause I was always trying to, the problem, that I always had that's in the book that I cannot bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the suffering and humiliation that comes from a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's just not going to happen again. I'm just, and this is how, right? And that the great obsession of every alcoholic is that one day I'm going to control and enjoy my drinking. Persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And it is astonishing. I was I would try and try, but I had no idea I was trying to control it. I would just, it's just what I did. And so I, I can't say that I stopped drinking after that. You know, I, I got, I was on, I, I went to uh, Theo Lacey. I got 10 months for that accident, which was an absolute blessing because the girl's stepfather wrote a letter to the judge to not send me to prison. And um, so I didn't go to prison and uh, I went for 10 months. So I did about six months, six and a half months. And uh, I'm not really a jail guy, you know, like I, I don't really fit in there. Um, well, and, and, but I do, right? Like, I mean, that's where I go. That's what, you know, like, cause I, you know, the egomaniac with an inferiority complex, right? Like if I'm hanging out with all my buddies that have all these degrees, I feel less than if I'm in jail, I'm like, you guys are idiots, you know, as I'm, <laughs> as I'm wearing the same clothes, you know? And um, so I ended up getting like, I got out, did well, you know, I lost my license for uh, about five and a half or four and a half years, um, did uh, five years of formal probation and uh, got two drunken publics while I was on formal probation by the same cop uh, two months apart, 
And uh, the second time, first time they didn't violate me. The second time they, they put me in a, uh, I was in uh, OCJ for, for 48 days. And then they sentenced me to uh, four and a half months in a sober living in a treatment center that was down the street from my parents' house. And I could, uh, I wasn't in the treatment center. I just in the sober living and I could leave at six o'clock in the morning and come back at 11 o'clock at night. And that's what I did. I hung out at my parents' house all day long, didn't do anything, didn't listen to anything. And um, so I, you know, completed that because I completed everything. I always completed things. I didn't like, uh, you know, I didn't want to go back to jail by not, for not completing it. And uh, so then I, uh, when I was 20, it was 2001, March of 2001, I was uh, down in Newport and uh, uh, lived with my girlfriend at the time in Irvine and uh, we weren't supposed to see each other because we were not in a good place and uh, we ended up seeing each other and we were following each other or I was following her home down Newport Boulevard towards Irvine to get back on the freeway and uh, she was going below the speed limit and I pull up next to her at a light and I go, go the goddamn speed limit. Light turns green, next light turns green, and she just takes off. And I chased her. And there was a cop making a U-turn to go back onto the freeway. And I got pulled over about 95 miles an hour trying to chase my ex-girlfriend. And uh, so um, with my prior, which was not good, um, you know, my, my lawyer was like, you know, uh, he's probably going to raise your bail to 50 grand. And then I uh, go to uh, go to court the first time and goes, uh, well, uh, am I reading this correctly? Did Mr. Jacobs get, uh, get convicted of gross vehicular manslaughter back in 95? And uh, he goes, I'm raising his bail to $100,000. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is serious. And my dad was dying of cancer at the time. And I couldn't tell him I'm going over, you know, this took, it was uh, about 13 months of fighting this case. And I'm going over to my parents' house every five or six five or six days a week to go help. And uh, I couldn't tell my dad. It was the most anxiety riddled um, year um, that I've ever had. Even when I, I, you know, I, because of that, I ended up going to prison for uh, 32 months. And uh, because when, when they, you know, I had a felony uh, and a misdemeanor, which the felony was enhanced to a strike and the misdemeanor was enhanced to a felony, which doubled up my time and, and I had to do 80% instead of 50%. And like, it was, it was gnarly. And, um, and, uh, you know, my dad passed away in, uh, January of 2002. Um, and three weeks later I had to tell my mom I was going to prison. And, uh, that's how much I like affect everybody, everybody in my life. I was a tyrant in people's lives, especially my mom and my dad and my brothers and my cousins. And, uh, and like when I made my amends to one of my cousins, I was, is there anything I left out? She goes, yeah. Um, the fact that I knew what you were going through and I wasn't allowed to talk about it to anybody, you know, like she was that I, and I had never thought of that, but she had to hold that in. And, uh, you know, for that whole year, it was like, you know, and, uh, so I went to prison, um, didn't get to deal with the grief of my dad or anything. Cause I had other I had things that had to happen. And uh, so I went to prison and, and uh, you know, that was, uh, 
that was brutal. Like I said, I'm not really a prison guy. I've got like no tattoos, you know, but I do play soccer and they had a soccer uh, field. And uh, <laughs> turns out the best goal I ever scored was in prison and nobody saw it. And, uh, and I was the only white guy that played. So I got respect from a lot of the, the Hispanic guys. And, and, uh, and um, you know, what I learned there, especially like in the, I, I, the routine I have in Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I had in there because the days don't change, right? You do the same thing every day, every day. And I actually thrive in that, you know? Um, Thriving is the wrong word for prison, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, but the thing is like when I was there, like life just stops. Two years, you know, it was 25 and a half months, 777 days. I got out 10 years to the day on the same day of the week as my original accident. And I was like, oh, but at the same time, I cannot bring into, into my consciousness with sufficient force the suffering and humiliation that comes from that time or the times before. And uh, so I didn't drink, never went to the program. I, you know, I lost my license again for another four and a half years. Uh, so a total of about 10 years. Um, and uh, I never thought I would drink again. I thought, I thought prison was the best thing ever happened to me. You know, like I, this is what happens. I, I go to prison. I, it'll happen again. It'll absolutely happen again. I know it'll happen again because it's happened again. And um, on my, so I got out right before I turned 32. And uh, I, I turned 30 in prison, turned 31 in prison. And, uh, and like, I got out right before I was 32 and I thought, wow, my life is like, actually, I didn't even think, I, I you know, like I, I didn't, I, I lived down in Newport and uh, I'd have my parole officer come over and, and, uh, you know, I had this like bay window to the bay and like, you know, he was visiting like gang members in Santa Ana and he'd come in and go, ah, oh, you're good. Okay. And then I'd walk across the street once a month, right after he left to my buddy's house and I'd take a bomb. And, uh, and five minutes later, I'm like, I gotta go, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, uh, cause I was, I get very anxious when I, when you don't smoke every day, it, it makes you really anxious and paranoid. And, uh, so, um, um, what happened was 2006, New Year's Eve, my uh, ex-girlfriend that I lived with, um, we broke up because she was an alcoholic. And uh, I didn't drink at the time, so she was an alcoholic. And uh, she got sent home from work on a New Year's Eve uh, for drinking at work. And I was going to an AA event because I did meet some people and I was going to an AA event. And, uh, and I moved out and... Um, it was my 35th birthday at the end of May of that next, of that 2007. And I went to New York to visit my brother. And, uh, and I, at this time, uh, I was drinking non-alcoholic beer, which I don't suggest as a, cause it's not a big uh, change of behavior. Um, like I heard a guy say in a meeting that he goes, I drank, he's got like 35 years. And, and he said at the beginning, he would drink non-alcoholic beer, but he was with his brothers one time at a, at a bar. And he was drinking an alcoholic beer and he had like two thirds of it left or three quarters of it left and they were leaving and he pounded it. And he's like, 
huh, that's not a change of behavior. And he stopped that behavior, you know, because he wanted to be sober. And uh, so I don't do that. But I went to New York and uh, I couldn't find a non-alcohol beer anywhere. And my brother said, well, if you think you could have a regular drink, why don't you have a regular drink? I'm like, that is a phenomenal idea. <laughs> and because uh, my thought was no judgment. You're not going to give me judgment if I, if I drink. And the worst thing that happened was that I had three drinks and it was successful. Like I didn't get drunk. It was just normal. And, uh, and I remember the shift because I wasn't planning on drinking, but I remember the shift when I got on the plane, the obsession of the mind, right? If I can just drink on holidays and vacations, that would be amazing. So that was like a middle of June. I waited until July 4th and I just got hammered, just hammered. And my neighbors that I had moved next to, they were big partiers and they had poker games and, and my buddy played golf all the time. So he was going to teach me how to play drunk golf. He's like, you just got to get into the zone. You know, and I'm like, you got to get an autopilot. Uh, that's what he said. got to get an autopilot, you know? And uh, he was, he knew my story and he's like, but you're never going to drive drunk. You know, I'll never let you drive drunk. So, and cause that was really the problem, right? Is that, is that I just, I just got to make sure, you know, I'm going to drink on holidays and vacations. And I'm not going to drink and drive because that's the problem. You know, I had no idea the rest of how I thought was the problem. You know, the resentments and the, the harms I'd done and, and all this stuff that that just filled me with the torture of my life. And uh, so I, I thought I, I would sit at a I would sit in my house with like a six pack and go, how do I feel after one beer? How do I feel after two beers? How do, cause that's normal, right? Most people, most normal drinkers do that, right? And uh, I'm like four, four is what I like. And then I could never stop at four. Cause as soon as I got to four, then it was, you know, the, the, the speed of it picked up like towards the end of my drinking, I would go to this liquor store and I would get three 25 ounce cans of Bud Light. Cause towards the end of my drinking, like the, we tried these, uh, the methods we have tried, we tried drinking beer only. That's the first one. I'm like, that's how it ended, you know? And, uh, you know, but I would have like 30 beers a day. I'd go to the liquor store and I'd get like these three 25 ounce uh, Bud Lights because I'm slowing down. And, uh, and I was going there five times a day, you know? And the guy's like, the guy's like, dude, why don't you just get like an 18 pack? I'm like, dude, I've got a method, you know? And, you know, and it is not working, but why don't you shut up, you know? And, uh, so I was a big stoner at the time too. And I, you know, I, like I would drink and, and, you know, I'd have like seven or eight beers at home. I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. I think I need a bong hit. And I take a bong hit and I go, fuck, now I'm drunk. And, uh, and then I just finished the 18 pack and, you know, and then it was on. And like, it got to the point of buying 36 packs and I'd be like, how's there only three left? You know? And, and then in the morning I would go, well, I may as well, finish those so I don't drink today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like that is like, it's just a peculiar mental twist. Um, and, uh, and really it was like, I gotta get rid of this, you know? And uh, then, then I was canceling the point. I remember I got sober and I was, I was towards the end, like I was golfing like 
four days a week and I was going to the range two to three days a week. And I'd always, I mean, I would drink 25 beers on the golf course and then pick up a 12 pack on the way home. And, and, uh, and I remember I got sober and I'm like, do I even like golf? <laughs> I, turns out I really like day drinking. You know, day drinking is, I, I like day drinking because I can go to sleep earlier and it's not as bad a hangover. Um, so um, when I, what, what happened that brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous, what brought me to my knees was I was living with my girlfriend at the time and uh, we weren't getting along, mainly probably because of my drinking. And uh, I was at my neighbor's house. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'm not sure what happened, except she probably sent me a nasty text, I think, because I came into the house and we had this extra room that um, she did painting for a hobby. And I just remember walking into the house. I walked into that room and just started smashing, smashing all of her canvases and just going in this just tirade and rage of just smashing stuff. And my recollection of it, when I was done with that, I went, oh, I need to take a nap. And I took, and I passed out on the couch and she came home and uh, she came home and I was sleeping and uh, she found the broken canvases and she, uh, she threw this, um, she threw a piece at me that woke me up, like startled me and I threw it back at her and, uh, and it hit her and I got in her face and I, I was like in her face and uh, she wanted to call the cops. And uh, so I left, you know, I, went, I left and went to a concert. <laughs> you know, Cause that's, you know, and then I proceeded to text her throughout the entire concert about get your stuff, get out, get a U-Haul, pack your bags. And there was some, a lot, a lot of expletives in that, in those text messages. Uh, I called the C word about 150 times. And, uh, and that's just not me. Like, you know, I came home at nine o'clock in the morning that next morning and, um, and uh, she has a U-Haul there and boxes and they're all packed. And I'm like, where are you going? Don't leave me, you know? And I was like distraught, what am I gonna do? And I left and I went and played golf because I couldn't wait. I couldn't sit there while she was doing that. And, uh, and um, so I came home and everything was gone. Everything was gone except for a TV and a couch and a fridge. And that was it. Bedroom stuff's gone. Everything's gone. I'm like, oh, my God. So I've been talking to this guy for about five years about coming to a meeting. I drank for about two weeks. And uh, I don't remember texting him. I said, dude, at least I just moved out. And, uh, and I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, let me be the first one to congratulate you on thoroughly fucking up your life. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, how can you talk to me like that? You know? And uh, I, I went to a meeting um, at the Newport Club, um, which is my home group. I have, I have a bunch of home groups. I go to 10 meetings a week. Um, I mean, go to the, the Newport Club um, Monday through Friday, 6.30 in the morning. And, um, and I drank every night. I went to that meeting every day and I drank every night because of the obsession the obsession the monkey on my back was just it was too much and 
I remember being in this meeting and it was a Friday night. I had gone to two meetings that day, halfway through that second meeting, I went, um, all I could see is this guy or here is this guy on my shoulder just going, we're going to a liquor store, right? We're going to a liquor store, right? We're going to a liquor store, right? Hey, we're going to a liquor store, we're going to a liquor store. And I couldn't hear the rest of the meeting. And it's when I, I heard about heads being loud and like all that stuff. And my head was loud, super loud. And, uh, and I got in my car and it's the same thing, you know, you know, we're going to liquor store, right? We're going to liquor store, liquor store's coming up. Making it right, making it right, making it right. And I did. And uh, I was cutting back at the time, you know, so I got like a six pack, and, but I had to have the six pack. You know, there was no way that I wasn't going to. And I came back to the meeting the next morning and I go, I was crying. And I guess I go, I guess I'm an alcoholic. I went to two meetings yesterday. And I drank right after the second one. And, and it was, it was like, I don't know, like that, that Tuesday before that Saturday, I went to this men's meeting. Somebody told me to go to this men's meeting. It's, uh, another one of my home groups is uh, Heliotrope Men's, Men's Stag that meets in Corona de Mar, seven o'clock on Tuesday nights. And um, somebody told me to go to that meeting where I ran into my sponsor who I'd known since I was 17. Uh, that had 18 years of sobriety at the time. And um, and somebody told me to go check out that meeting. So I thought I would have like 10 beers and smoke some weed and go check out that meeting. Yeah. And uh, and it's like a sniper meeting where the leader calls on people to come up, you know, and I got called up. I have no idea what I said. All I know is that 18 days later, I was on a men's retreat. And, um, <laughs> and yeah. And uh, my sponsor's like, yeah, you're, you're gonna go on this retreat. I go, what's that? He goes, don't worry about it. Like, mm. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, like he made me do that, do a 10 minute talk on that on that Saturday night, you know, and like, and it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, doing some things that are really uncomfortable to get comfortable. And uh, I have no idea what I said. I had like 19 days of sobriety at the time, and I just pretty much told my life in chronological order, kind of like I'd done the night. Um, but I, um, so I got, it was just so mind blowing to me, this white light experience of, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic. It was, and like I tell this story, it is so, even when I tell it, it is so bizarre that I had no idea that I was an alcoholic. Like it is just so mind blowing. And I was like, okay, you guys got a solution for this? Like, what do I have to do? Yeah, and you know, my my sponsor gave me a list of things to do. Uh, you know, ask God to keep me sober in the morning. Get on my knees and and pray. And you know, I told you I was Jewish, and I'm like, Jews don't get on their knees and pray. You know, and uh, and then I was like, well, really, how Jewish am I? You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was like, as Jewish as you know, if I hear somebody say Jew over there, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, you know, it's about how, how Jewish I was. You know, I my bar mitzvah when I was 13. That's about it. Got my money and I bailed, you know. <laughs> so um, I uh, so I started doing this. He goes, even if you, especially if you don't mean it, you know, like one of my favorite lines in the book is God doesn't make hard terms for those that seek. And uh, and it doesn't take that much. And uh, but it's really that surrender that I was an alcoholic. The identification process, it, for me, it took a long time. Like, and I, I've got to share this before we end, like. So I had to go to a, um, a memorial, I give me chills. I had to go to memorial service on Friday. 
for a guy that I was sponsoring uh, over the summer. And he was 27 years old. And there were about three or 400 people at this, at this memorial service. And it was so sad. And I, I had to introduce myself to, uh, to his mom and dad. And uh, it was like his mom, she knew of me because I guess he had talked about me before. Um, and she looked at me and she goes, you're Darren. She gave me the warmest hug and said, thank you for giving me my son back this summer. And I was like, I mean, first of all, I didn't do anything. I was just a conduit to when he was willing that I was able to be of service. You know, this whole service thing, you know, that was like a, a big deal, you know, like, cause I'd never, you know, selfishness and self-centered. It's like, when I read our very lives as extra problem drinkers depends on our constant thought of others, my reaction was, what? <laughs> that is ridiculous, you know? And, um, you know, I try to live my life in service today, you know, like the, the nine step promises mean a lot to me. Um, you know, my responsibility being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous that when anyone anywhere reaches their hand out for help, I, you know, we, we help them for that. I'm responsible, the whole responsibility pledge. I have a living amends to what happened in my, in my life, you know, and, um, and I take it very seriously when somebody wants some help, I'm not going to chase if you don't. Right. But at the same time, that guy that died, could I have done more? I don't know. Right. Could I have reached out more? I don't know. I don't think so. Is it God's will or is it extreme or is it, uh, is it, um, self-will run riot? And that's what happened. Right. Like you just, you edge God out and you are now living on your will. And it's, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think it's God's will. It's got to be God's will, right? There's a, there's a plan for everything, even the bad stuff, you know? Today, I believe that my life is perfect the way it has all manifested into being uniquely qualified to help somebody else. Everything that I've gone through in my life is in order to help somebody else. I don't dwell on it, you know? It's always going to be there. But what am I doing with it? Right? I have to... Like a quote of, uh, you know, I have to abandon the hope that I could ever have a different past, you know, because my past isn't changing. So the first five steps takes care of that. And then the rest of the steps is moving forward and how I'm going to be a better person and how I'm going to make amends for these things that I've done in my past that just tortured me. So I'm done being like in pain. I'm done being in pain. And um, because there's a solution for all of it. Like the, this design for living is miraculous. Miraculous things happen in Alcoholics Anonymous that, is, that seem to like come out of thin air. I think, I think God has a very, uh, has, a, has a soft spot for alcoholics who want to do the, the right thing, you know? And uh, because things happen in here, in these rooms and outside these rooms that just seem to not be possible and, they're, and they happen. And it's, it's, you know, families are fixed and, and like, jobs are made and like I know guys that have become lawyers because they're making an amends to their living amends to their mom and what can I do to make it right and go back to school and then they become a lawyer you know and it's like it's um you know the whole goal here tonight is that maybe I can help one person all I can do is share my experience and my strength and my hope that alcoholics really alcoholics anonymous really really works if you do it
and there is a map. It says, it says in the beginning, precisely, specifically, and clear-cut directions of how we recover from alcoholism. And it's recovered, you know, and we have a daily, daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual tradition. So what am I doing today? You know, and what am I doing? What's the next right indicated step when stuff happens? I had a really hard week last week. That seems to be the case uh, every week. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but like somebody asked me, like, oh, how you doing on Saturday? Yes, sir. like, how you doing? I'm not going to get into it, but I'll say that I am dealing with everything very well. You know, and uh, better than I've ever dealt with anything in my life um, with this life thing, you know, that is very overwhelming and was was very overwhelming to me. And I would drink over everything. And uh, so with that, I think my time is up. And thank you again for uh, for having me.